Today we're going to be starting a series called Prince of Peace. Now the reason that we're doing this, we typically at Advent, we will talk each Sunday about whatever that topic for Sunday is for Advent. Hope, love, joy, peace. We typically take one of each and we, in different ways, we'll talk about those subjects. I wanted to spend the whole month talking about peace because quite honestly, there's a lot that can go into that. And not only is there a lot that we can talk about, uh, but it's where a lot of people are. This is a time of year that we talk a lot about peace. We talk about the Prince of Peace. We talk about the fact that there's going to be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And sometimes we look in the news, we look at our neighbors, we look at ourselves, and we ask ourselves, is peace here on the earth? When we look at our own lives and we think about peace, one of the things we struggle with is the reality that some of us love Jesus, follow Jesus, and yet we don't feel at peace. Anxiety in the world around us continues to seemingly compound. As we look at what's going on in the world, what's going on especially in young people and those who are entering into adulthood, we find that anxiety is what appears to be reaching an all-time high. What does it look like for there to be peace on earth? Not only what does it look like for there to be peace on earth, what does it look like for you and I to live our lives in the midst of chaos and have peace? There was a time I would have said that when you follow Jesus, he kind of smooths out all the bumps in your life and, and then you're able to have peace because you don't have all those bumps. But as I have lived a little more life, I have found that that is not the way God works. He doesn't smooth out the bumps, but he promises us peace in spite of those. And sometimes they're not bumps, are they? Sometimes they're massive hills and sometimes they are deep, deep valleys. When we look at what's going on in the world, we live in a world right now that is not at peace. It's not hard to see. I, I, I read about the prophecies of the second coming of Jesus and what he says is going to be happening around that time is there will be wars and rumors of wars. And yet that is exactly where we are right now, isn't it? We have a war going on all around the world. We ourselves have been involved in a war for more than most, not most, but some of your lives. And one of the reasons that kids who are growing up today are looking at the world and saying, this is not the world I want to be a part of, is because they look at a world in which they we have been fighting their entire life. Now that's not to say whether the fact that we're fighting is good or bad, it's just to say when you live in a world that you're constantly at conflict, it wears at your heart and it wears at your soul. Even outside of the conflict that we find in our nation and in the world around us. The APA, the American Psychiatric Association, ran a poll in 2017. This is what they found of the people that they polled, which is this is a reputable organization. They found that nearly two-thirds of the people that they polled were extremely or at least somewhat anxious about health and safety for themselves and their families. Two-thirds. More than a third are more anxious this year than they were the last. Barnes & Noble ran a poll, and they are not a poll, I'm sorry. Barnes & Noble released some of their sales statistics, and they found that between August of this year and June of last year, there was a 25% increase in book sales related to anxiety and depression. They're selling 25% more books on this topic just a year later. 
In the UK, the UK Council of Psychotherapy did a poll in 2017 that assessed the mental health of full and part-time employees. And what they reported was that workers reporting anxiety and depression have risen by nearly a third in the last four years. It's not just here. The Pew Research Center says that 57% of teens are at least somewhat worried about a school shooting. 25% are very worried that there will be a school shooting in their schools. We look at depression. Professionals tell us that this affects approximately 1 in 10 people in the U.S. every year. It's the leading cause of disability for people ages 15 to 44, depression is. It's the primary reason why someone dies of suicide every 13 minutes. So we look at these statistics, and and we don't even have to have these statistics, do we? We just look at the world around us. We look at the people we know, and sometimes we just look in our own hearts and our own lives, and we know this to be true, that anxiety grows, it builds, it becomes more. And then we read things like Jesus saying, my peace I give you, and we recognize that even within the church, are we a people who are at peace? Are we untouched by anxiety, worry, fear, and depression? And the reality is, no, we're touched too. So what do we do when we read about Jesus coming, the Prince of Peace? Do we have to ask ourselves, what does that mean? And how do we experience that? I don't know about you, but that, a high level of focus in my life is being at peace. Anybody else? I like it. I like feeling good. Anybody else? Yeah? Any Georgia fans in here? Not feeling it today. It was really close. We were all rooting for you, right? Yeah. You don't have any Alabama fans in here, right? Okay, okay, put those hands down. <laughs> Y'all poke your head in and tell Heath, you know, we're disappointed. Heath's in Kidmo. He loves Alabama. But as we look at these verses, and we ask ourselves, what does it look like to have peace? I do want you to know that even though we live in a world without it, God wants you to have it. God wants you to be at peace. He doesn't just want you to be at peace. He promises he's going to give you peace. And we're going to unpack that because the concept of peace is huge. It's not something that we can just unpack in a day or even four weeks. It's something that we've got to unpack throughout our entire lives. And when we look at peace, it's not just an inside, I feel good about stuff. Because typically when we define peace, we define it as a lack of conflict We typically define peace as in everything's all right in our relationships with others. A lack of anxiety or in another way of seeing that, feeling confident. There is a lot of truth that when you feel confident, the anxieties that come your way tend to not have the same power. Because you're confident that things are going to be better and that you can handle something. We talk about peace. There's different kinds of peace, isn't there? There's a peace that you can have with your spouse. There's a peace you can have with your kids, a peace that you can have or not have with your neighbors or your coworkers. There's peace with God. And for some of us, there's peace with ourselves. There's kind of a generalized anxiety that some of us struggle with because we just don't really know what we're upset about. We just feel like something bad's going to happen. 
Sometimes it's because you have been bombarded with, you know, time after time something has happened. And sometimes it's, it's just part of the way your body is made up. You lend yourself to being more anxious, to worry, not even to know why you're worried, to know there's nothing you should be worried about. And yet your heart changes, the, your brain chemistry changes, and the way you just deal with life, your adrenaline begins pumping. You have no explanation for it. You just feel anxious. And so what does it look like? To be at peace. Let me tell you where we're going to be going over these next four four weeks. Today, we're going to be talking about being at peace with God. This is the foundation for all other areas of peace within our lives. We're going to be at peace with God. We're also going to be talking the next week. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to be to have the peace that Jesus promised. Jesus said, whenever he was uh, he had been. Uh, resurrected and he was about to enter into heaven and he said to his disciples something so important and crucial for our conversation we're going to talk about this next week he said my peace i give you (laughs) what does that look like jesus has a kind of peace that he's offering to those who follow him the third week we're going to talk about our relationships with others and what does it look like to be at peace with others? What does it look like to be a peacemaker? And how do we work towards reconciliation? Something that we as a nation and we as a congregation can strive towards. And then the fourth week on the 23rd, we're going to talk about peace with ourselves and that is having peace over anxiety. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't you love those verses? I love those verses, especially when I'm anxious. <laughs> and I read them and I'm like, I'm, getting, I'm in trouble and I don't even know what to do about it, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. He has a peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if that just happened? Wouldn't it be great if you just woke up one day and and you just were like, oh, I've got God's peace now. Wouldn't that be awesome? And why isn't it that way? Or is it that way? And have we missed it? So today what I want to share with you and what I want you to know is, is peace is possible no matter what's going on within your life. But it's not possible unless we are at first at peace with God. And when we think about peace in that way, and we think about a lack of conflict in that way, when we think about war and fighting, to be at peace with God can conjure all kinds of feelings and images within our life, doesn't it? What does it mean to be at peace with God? What does it mean to not be at war with God? What does it mean not to be at conflict with God? Or are we? There There are some who would say, that we are not ever at conflict with God. He so love, loves us all the time that God is never cross with us. God is never upset with us. And we never have to worry about God's judgment or wrath. But that is not what Scripture tells us. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That scares me. Anybody else? 
I don't want God's wrath against me. I have read the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Wrath is not good. I remember when I was a kid, I would sometimes experience the wrath of my parents. I know you all never did. At least not my parents. And that was not good. They, my parents like to remind me that I enjoyed getting in trouble, which is their words, not mine. Because every time I got in trouble, it was a fresh start. <laughs> it was over. Something was over. And quite honestly, I probably should have been in trouble for a lot more than I was. And when they finally lowered the hammer, it was like, okay, well, they missed all those other things. I'm okay. So I probably did feel pretty good about that. But peace is not possible unless we are first at peace with God. And I don't want to share this in a way of, you know, turn or burn or, you know, God's mad at you unless you do something. I, I just want you to know that there is a state of living life in which you are at odds with God. And when you are at odds with God, it is not going to lead you to a place of wholeness, peace, joy, or hope. What we celebrate at Advent and what we celebrate in the lighting of the candles, which is one of the few things that we do that are truly traditional, that you know, are, are truly part of the Orthodox Church that all other churches are doing. I love it when we do that. Because Advent is not just the expectation of gifts under the tree. It's not just the expectation of good food and snacks. It's not the expectation of parties and, and, and being able to have fun with our friends and our family, but it's the expectation that he is solving this problem of wrath for us. We won't see how beautiful that problem solving person is unless we understand how severe the wrath can be. But when we do, then it changes our perspective. It changes the way we see these things. And what we celebrate partly at an Advent is that Jesus came to end wrath and to bring you peace. And in fact, enter into the world, bring peace into the world by those who call Christ Lord and Savior. He wants to interject peace into the world. Sometimes I look at my life and I wonder, is God really interjecting peace into the world through me? Do y'all, is anybody confident that God's doing that through them right now? Sometimes I think I'm good at it. Sometimes I think, you know what? I am a conduit for God's love and peace. But not very often. <laughs> I don't feel that way very often. Do you feel that way? Part of Advent is recognizing that as Jesus comes, that is part of what he is bringing. The promise that God had made to Israel. And this is, I want, you to, to, I want you to hang in there because some of you, this may be what you need today, not the rest of what I'm going to talk about. In Jeremiah 33, this is one of the prophecies that happened before the coming of Christ. And it said in Jeremiah 33, 14, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. It was a promise he had made, but it wasn't a new promise. It was a continuing promise from the very beginning when he made a promise with Abraham. And he said, I am going to make you to prosper. And then he continued in through the Israelites as they were taken out of Egypt and 
ushered into the promised land after a period of time and some obstacles. And then later the prophets began talking about, but something else is coming, something better is coming. The law is good, the law is difficult though. So what we find, though after this prophecy, I can imagine those listening to Jeremiah at the moment got excited. Something swelled up within them. Something good is coming, like sometimes happens in our lives. Something is happening. God is up to something. I am excited about this. But between the time of Jeremiah and Malachi, about 400 years pass before we get the announcement that John the Baptist and Jesus are going to be born. I want you to imagine, we do not have recorded in Scripture another voice from God for 400 years. This promise is made, it's thrown out there, it's put out for us to expect and to hope, and then for 400 years God goes silent. What do you do when God goes silent in your life? Does it feel good, confident, or does anxiety come in? Is a promise that he made 400 years ago enough to sustain us now when we've been waiting 400 years and it hasn't happened? It's one of the reasons that people didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. They'd given up. It's another reason why people began hoping that the Messiah was going to be a political figure because in that time, Rome has come in, has overtaken them, and they want to be relieved from their oppressors. And so for them, they've given up on this promise. And their understanding of saving Judah and saving Israel is not the saving from God's wrath or the saving from sin. It is the saving from their oppressors. We're now 2,000 years removed from a new word from God. Is this why sometimes we struggle with believing God? Is this why people walk away from the church? Is this why we don't have a focus on Scripture? Because we're just not sure it really is real or it really does work or that God is really still going to do something? 400 years pass before the angels come down and they begin to expect something more. And then this happens in Luke 2. Verse 8, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, and that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those, among those with whom he is pleased. I just want to hang out on that verse 14 for a second. What does that mean? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. We have to be careful when we read something like this, because if you're a person who struggles with anxiety, struggles with depression, struggles with worry, then you think, well, God must not be pleased with me, or I would have that peace. 
And I want you to know this is a complicated issue. Made more complicated by the fact that we live in a fallen world. Our bodies are, are functioning in a broken, fallen creation that is constantly degrading until one day it will be restored by God as He creates a new heaven and a new earth. But until that comes, we're constantly degrading. These bodies give out, we die. Dust returns back to the dust. And our bodies don't always help us. Sometimes they betray us, right? Some of us who are getting older, we feel that betrayal more regularly than some of you who are younger. Your turn will come. But sometimes that betrayal is in the way our brains work. There was a time in the church that if you saw someone about depression, then you were outcast. <laughs> because God's enough, right? Right? I mean, if you have faith, if you trust God, you don't need a doctor. And yet what we know about the body as science continually shows us how God has created is that there are times that the body betrays you. There are times that you'll feel anxious and you'll feel depressed and there will be no cause that you can think of for it. But the way your body is geared, that's what happens. This, I have a history in our family, my extended family, that this is a part of their lives in which they've struggled for generations, some until they died, with the fact that their mind told them one thing and their heart told them another. We read this. Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It, it, for me, begs a question, well, then what does it look like to please God to get that peace? But I want you to know, if you're struggling with anxiety, that does not mean that God is not pleased with you. It may just mean that you're wired in that direction. But what does it look like? Still, this is what it says, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The reality is you will have peace with God as you please God. Now, let me give you my five things that you need to do to please God and be happy, right? That's how these sermons normally go. And, and you know, one of them is about reading the Bible and, you know, one of them about coming to church and, you know, Right? How many verses did you memorize this week? How many people did you bring to church with you? How many chapters of the Bible did you read? I, we, we used to have those on our offering envelopes um, when I was growing up. Did anybody else have those? And I would just sit in church and check all the boxes. I didn't do any of them, but, you know, I was a kid sitting in church checking all the boxes. You know, that's, what, that's why we jokingly say, are you checking the boxes? But if we're going to understand this, we then have to go back and we have to ask ourselves, well, how do we please God? And there are some places in Scripture that talks about how do we please God, and they may or may not be what you think. The first one is most central and most important for us is by having faith. Do you know, we please God by having faith, which some of you are in a job that you please your boss by your performance. In fact, if you have a job, there's, that's probably, and you're not self-employed, that's probably a, a piece of your job. I have to please my boss. My boss tells me to do something, and I think it's the wrong thing to do. I have to still do it because he's the one who told me to do it, and I've got to please him. You know, within our faith, 
There, it's very easy to begin to look around at other Christians and say, look how successful those Christians are. Look how good they are. Look how happy they are. Look how friendly they are. They know so much scripture. They talk about so many good things. And, and you know, everybody loves them. God must really be pleased with them. And yet, that is not what faith means. Faith doesn't mean that you're producing. Faith means that you're trusting. And sometimes... Those who exercise the greatest faith are those who are not producing anything at all. We read about this, Hebrews eleven six. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And I love that. I love that I don't have to be perfect. I love that I don't have to do everything just right. I love that I don't have to have everything together. I don't have to be a scholar on every verse in the Bible. I don't have to do that to please God. I have to begin with just faith that God is real and that God is true and that I can trust him. And there are days that you may have a moment where the only thing you can offer is faith. Because you have nothing else left to give. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that means we are made just, made right because of faith. That is what God looks at when he looks at us and says, because you have faith. And when we talk about that type of faith, we're we're saying, I believe God is real. I believe God is good. I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that I am a sinner in need to be forgiven. I'm repenting of my sins. I want to receive Christ as my savior. Then we are justified by our faith, not by our actions, which is important especially and this is one of the reasons that the pharisees struggled to understand what jesus was teaching because he was changing the dynamic from a rule-based way of pleasing god to something else which was based on faith grace mercy and love so he moves away from the rule-based areas and he says if you will have faith you will be justified since we have been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And as a result, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So right there, just because of our belief, because of our faith, we have access into his grace. We rejoice in hope. We rejoice also in verse 3 in our sufferings, which is where some of this begins to meet us where we are. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How else do we have peace with God? The second way we have peace with God is by living through the Spirit. We've talked a lot about the Spirit in the last couple of years. Romans 8 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. 
If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Which is crucial. We're talking more about this next week, that the Holy Spirit is a crucial part of peace within our lives. If we don't live our lives constantly focused on giving the Holy Spirit more influence, we will struggle with peace. We will struggle to hear God. We will struggle with confidence. We will struggle with, is God really here with me? Can I trust him? Does God really love me? Is he a part of my life? We will struggle with those things if we are not constantly being focused on allowing the Holy Spirit to do something within us. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So when we live by the Spirit, it pleases God. A third thing, which is not rocket science, we please God by obeying God. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good, what? Pleasure. God's at work within you to be able to please him. Isn't that awesome? And obeying unlocks that. You know, you cannot have peace if you are disobeying God. It is impossible. <laughs> I remember when I became a Christian, I, the first two times I truly experienced peace. The first one was when I became a Christian, and I've shared that before. When I became a Christian, I was at youth camp. I kind of got away from everybody else. I had a moment with Christ in which I said, I just need you. I was at a point in my life where I was doing everything I could to kind of live the life I wanted to live, have the right kind of friends and have the right kind of status and school. And, you know, high school is a hard time, isn't it? Middle school is worse. It's a hard time. I was doing everything I knew how to do in order to fit in because I I didn't really have answers for life, but I knew fitting in was a good thing. But sometimes to fit in, you have to do things that you know aren't right. But you kind of go along because this gets me in. And kind of got to do the things they do and say the things they say and act the way they act because that gets me in and being in is much more peaceful than being out. But I remember there was something within me that was just in, in turmoil. I, it was chaotic. It was a sense that I didn't belong even with the people I was trying to belong with. Or something that was broken, something that just didn't fit. And I remember that one night I I just prayed and I said, God, I don't know the answers, but I know that you are real and I know that you love me and I know that you died on the cross for me. I I just, I I want you to be my savior. And, And in that moment was just a flood of peace that he was real, that I could trust him, that everything was gonna be okay. And it not a hint of now, I just need you to fix these things about your life. And instead it was just his peace pouring over me. I remember the second time I experienced that kind of peace. It was such an incredible experience. I didn't want to lose it. You ever have those? It's like you live in a moment and you don't ever want the moment to stop. You ever have those? That was it for me. I mean, that was the most defining moment of like, I don't ever want this to stop. 
I remember I did something, and I, I can't remember. I, mean, I talk, talk about it with my parents sometimes, but, and they, they can't remember what it was. For me, it was, a, it was a pivotal moment in my life and in my relationship with my parents. I remember I was standing in my bathroom. I had done something I wasn't supposed to do. I don't remember what it was. I mean, and I don't say that like I, like, I don't want you to know what it was. I mean, I really don't remember. <laughs> but, but kind of my, my mode of operation, my MO up to that point was, if they don't know, it won't hurt them or me, right? Anybody else operate that way? Don't do that, students. It's not good, especially Jake and Emma. Don't do that. What they don't know won't hurt them, and it won't hurt me either. But I remember there was something within me that said, no, this is not the way. There was a new voice that was speaking to me, and this was, I mean, literally days, if not maybe a couple of weeks after this moment where I experienced Christ for the first time, and it just said, no. And I remember thinking, I don't want to lose this peace I have. I know what he wants me to do. I, I need to do it. And so I did. I remember I went and told my parents, and it was the most amazing thing I, I, I had ever experienced. It was like a non-issue. I, I thought, well, I'm going to be in trouble, but at least I'm still going to have this peace with God. And it was like it was a non-issue. And part of it was because I just kind of fessed up. My parents, I think they may have been a little bit in shock. I'm not sure, because I don't think I had ever fessed up before then. And they were like, okay. And I remember that peace flooded back in me. And it wasn't just because I didn't get in trouble. That peace flooded back in me because I was like, I trusted what Christ said. And it's okay. That peace came in and throughout my life, I don't live in a perpetual state of peace. There are times that I have to desperately pray that I would receive his peace. But I remember I don't want to miss this. Just obeying God and Philippians 2, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. By obeying, he is working with you. Now, for those of you who are thinking, oh, well, if I do anything wrong, that's exactly what I thought about God. If I do something wrong, then he's not, still not pleased with me. There is a very real difference in not obeying and not knowing. As our kids get older, we have to teach them increasingly what they're not supposed to do, right? It's like in the beginning, you know, you shouldn't take the car out without telling me. You know, if you tell your one-year-old that, it doesn't really matter, right? As they get older, there are more things you have to teach them. There's a difference in someone who doesn't know and they're doing something that is not right in God's eyes, but they do not know yet, and someone who knows and chooses not to obey. Those are completely different. What God is talking about here is not that you never mess up. It's the fact that what you know, do. Don't just be hearers of God's word, be doers of God's word. Don't just act the part, live the part. Some of you, you waited to come to Christ because you knew Christians who didn't act the part. They didn't live it out. They talked about it, but you knew how they lived their life. And you looked at their life and you said, it's not real because their life's not real. You cannot experience 
this kind of peace with God if you are living your life contrary to what he has called us to do. And if you're thinking, well, I'm a new Christian and I don't know all the things I'm supposed to do. Yes, that is part, that is part of growing. That's why we call this place journey. You're on a journey. We're not all in the same place. You're where you are. You're moving somewhere else. Right now, I'm where I am. I'm not where I was. I'm going somewhere. And as I'm going, I obey the more I learn and understand. We please God by obeying God. A fourth thing that we do, it's interesting in Hebrews 13, 16, we please God by literally sharing with others. Don't you wish that your toddlers got this? We have a four-year-old in our house. Sharing is, it's, you never know. Sometimes it's just willfully sharing, and sometimes you think that four-year-old is about to smack down the other four-year-old because they're not willing to share. You know, you just never know what's going to happen. Hebrews thirteen sixteen says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do you know, just sharing, that pleases God. Whatever you have. Sometimes it's sharing something financial. Sometimes it's sharing a meal. Sometimes it's sharing confidence. Sometimes it's sharing encouragement. Sometimes it's saying, I'm walking, coming alongside of you so that you're not on your own. I'm with you. All kinds of ways we can share. We take what we have and we share with others, which is the way it works with Christ. We have the opportunity to please God in that way. A fifth thing, parents, I wanted to give you something you could take with you today (laughs) by obeying your parents. Do you know that? We need to pass this on to Kidmo. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. There you go. All the kids are saying, everything? Yeah, right? Everything? What is this? Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And, and here's, the, here's what Jesus is really saying here. It is not that your parents always know what's best, except for Jake and Emma's. You all, your parents do know what's best. Even Jake and Emma. It's not that parents always know what's best, right? No one knows that more than a parent. There are times we make calls and we make statements and we make decisions and and we don't know that they're right. We're doing the best we can on the information we have and based on our experience as a parent. And there are times we have to come back and we have to say, you know what, I, I messed up. I made the wrong call. There are times we have to do that. The point of pleasing God is not that somehow our parents are always right, and therefore we defer to them as if they are an extension of Christ, because Christ is always right. The point is that He has put in place a way for us to grow and develop. And even when our parents lead us astray, it is good to obey. It is good to follow. It is good to submit. The process of submitting as a child will follow you throughout your life because if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to consistently live a life of submission. This is why so many people go to church and miss Jesus. 
is because it doesn't make sense. This peace that passes understand, does, that nobody understands and, and what it looks like to follow him is confusing and people look at followers of Jesus and say, oh, they're crazy. They think we're foolish. And the reality is, is that we gain so much by being submissive, but our culture says the very worst thing you can do, the weakest thing you can do in your life is to submit to anybody. Don't submit to anybody or anything. Stand your ground. Get what's coming to you. Don't let anybody take it from you. But Jesus says, oh, no, no, it's not that way at all. In fact, I'm demonstrating this with my life. In fact, I have come not for you to serve me. I have come to serve you. I'm going to demonstrate not that Jesus somehow is not worthy to be served, but instead Jesus is demonstrating submission over and over and over again. When he talks about his relationship with God the Father, he's demonstrating submission. He says, I submit to my Father. Whatever my Father wills is what I do. Whatever my Father says is what I do. I am here to do the will of my Father. I am submitting myself. And it was a demonstration to us to constantly submit ourselves. Submit ourselves to Christ. Submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. Submit ourselves to God's word. Submit and obey. Submit to go where he says to go. It's an amazing thing when we begin to understand that the kingdom of God doesn't work the way the world does. And in many places, the kingdom of God works exactly opposite in the way the world works. And when we try to marry those together... And somehow we try to live within the kingdom of God the way people want to live within the world. It doesn't work. And we're not at peace because there's conflict between the world and with Christ. So obeying our parents is one of the first acts in recognizing that we need to submit ourselves. We're going to carry that into relationships with others and we're going to submit to each other. Scripture says if you're a husband and a wife, you know, there was a time when wives submitted to husbands. Scripture says that we should submit to each other. But yet that calling was not just for marriage. He's talking about believers. Believers submit to each other. That doesn't mean no one leads. But it means that we submit to the needs and to the will of someone else. By obeying your parents, you are pleasing God. Being at peace with God does not mean that you will be at peace with others, your circumstances, or yourself. There is a, there is a difference for these. You can be at peace with God and then not be at peace with others. And I don't just mean you have a difference of opinion. Jesus goes on in Matthew 10, he says this, one of our favorite verses. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've come to bring, not to come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And if there's not a place in scripture that shouts from their rooftops, following Christ in the kingdom of God and following in the world are two completely different things. This demonstrates the problem. 
Now we look at this and we think, well, is Jesus contradicting the angels? Is Jesus contradicting himself, talking about having peace? He's saying, I, I'm not here to bring peace. I'm here to bring a sword. And some people read it that way. That is not what he's saying. He's not denying the peace that he's wanting to offer us. What he's saying is, if you're going to have peace with God, it has to be the most important relationship within your life. And especially when we look at some of those Middle Eastern religions, Judaism and Islam, we find that if you follow Christ out of those, then you, for many instances, are leaving your family because they'll have nothing to do with you again. And in some cases, they legally, in some places, can take your life because you have rejected their religion. This is exactly what Jesus is prophesying about. This is what he's saying is going to happen. And so we have to love him more than our family because in some situations, he's not calling you to hate your father or mother or your brother or sister. He's not telling you in order to follow me, you got to have nobody else in your life. What he's saying is that if you're going to follow me, especially in this part of the world, there are going to be people within your own house that hate you for it. And you will not be able to do it unless you love me more than them. Because if you love them more, then you'll do whatever it takes to be okay with them. Not to be okay with me. So he's telling us, I'm offering you my peace. But that, may, that very peace that you receive may put you at odds with everyone in your house around you. So there's a difference in peace with God and in peace with others. Having peace with God does not mean we will automatically be at peace with others. This is what I want to leave you with today. And I want you to think about this throughout this week. This is why I wanted to start with this, um, with this topic today is because as we move into next week, we're going to be getting very practical with finding peace within our lives. Next week, as I said before, we're going to be focusing on what is this peace that Jesus says, I, my peace I'm leaving with you. As if there was something the disciples did not have until Jesus left and gave them. What is that? What does it look like? What does it look to live within that kind of peace? But I want you to know whether we're talking about that kind of peace. We're talking about peace with other people. We're talking about peace with ourselves. Peace within uh, our own anxieties. Peace with God is the, creates the environment to be at peace everywhere else. In other words, if we are not at peace with God, we are still children of wrath. We are still subject to God's judgment. And you can know that if you, by faith, have called Christ your Lord and Savior, you are no longer subject to that wrath. And if you truly know what that wrath is, then you are thankful at Christmas that Jesus has come to release that from you. Because you realize your life is different, your eternity is set. I have peace, not in all the things that are happening in my life right at this moment. I have peace that I am good with God forever. And at times that's going to put you at odds with other people. But God got a plan for that too. He's got a plan for how we work with others. In fact, he says we should be peacemakers in the world, which is also can be very confusing. Sometimes we are so intent on being a peacemaker, we make concessions that we shouldn't be making to bring peace. That is not what he's saying. 
We don't just give in. We don't just act like something's not important. We don't just ignore the commands and the teachings of Jesus because someone's not happy with them. That is not what being a peacemaker is. That is what a people pleaser is. But what does it look like for us to be peacemakers? That is what we will be. That is not possible unless we are at peace with God. So my prayer for you as we continue in our service is that you would experience this peace with God because it is the foundation for everything else within your life. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you for all the ways that you have cared for us and you have been with us. Father, this, this time of year, I'm thankful for family and friends for the fun things that we're going to do. Father, I thank you that in the chaos of the world in which we live with strife and pain and anguish, anxiety, worry, fear, that you have promised us that you will give us peace. And I know there are some in this room and they fully are living within that peace and they are just loving life, experiencing that with you. And I know there are some in this room They are desperate for peace and would do anything to receive it. Maybe it's something that has happened within their life, a decision they have to make, something they've lost and they fear it will never find again. But God, I I know that you are still offering this gift of peace just as you were before. Father, I thank you that we can celebrate the coming of hope That while things may not be perfect, things are going to improve. Father, I thank you for all the ways that you have cared for us, loved us, and showed us your grace. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.